The bald fat man is Jeff. In the wild, Jeff preys upon fast food and mounting dew. Each new morning, he surprises himself that he survived another day. The dark-hair-bearded fellow is Garrett. His spreadsheets are a way of survival, and his opinions are fine. Just fine. Together, the Jeff and the Garrett form the Give em Hell Brigham podcast. Despite their lack of tangible skills or noticeable intelligence, they not only survive together, they thrive together. So strap in, folks. Things are about to get weird. A new episode of GEHB starts right now. Jeffrey, we have made it. It is our first game preview of the season. But thanks to those hoes known as the CFP Board of Directors, we have to talk about alignment. And why can't they do this in April? They could have done this last summer when the Alliance voted down this now change that they are suddenly on board with. So maybe it'll set a timer. We are going to cap this. It is 1239 right now is what it says on my computer. At 1240, if I am mid-sentence or you are mid-sentence, I am cutting us off. Or not at 1240, 1250, 10 minutes. You're giving us less than a minute? Yeah, I meant twelve fifty. Uh, ten minutes. Ten minutes. At most. Because this is obnoxious. Like this shows we were talking about it just a minute ago, Garrett, before we started recording. This shows how little this college football playoff committee gives two shits about the regular season. Right. To do this on the heels of one of the best backyard brawls that we've seen, right? Like a, a classic game that ends on a pick six off a ball that should the have been caught. Just first time that it was played in a decade. First and time. is like, yes, this is what CFB is supposed to be. This is what I love. I hate that realignment has destroyed all of this. Just like that. In less than 24 hours later, the college football playoff committee is like, oh, wait a minute. We're not talking about us for five seconds. We better, we better stop that. You know, we gotta, we gotta make that change. It's look, I mean, the change itself, like, we'll get into it, but golly, like, what a stupid time. A Friday afternoon, the day before the opening Saturday, like the real opening Saturday, that's obnoxious. That's just, it's borderline irresponsible. Let us talk about actual football for one damn day. For one day. And so, if you missed the news, the uh, for the 2026 season, so they said they were voting today. It needed to be unanimous to enact it for uh, the 2024 season because um, they've already scheduled 2022, 2023. Um, so it needed to be unanimous, which it was, but they have said that it was unanimous, but they voted to enact this in 2026 after the current contract ends. And so this is this original proposal that we talked about in June of last year mm-hmm. that the Pac-12 and the ACC shot down because they wanted a guaranteed bid. So this is the top six highest ranked conference champions and six at-large bids. That is the playoff. And then with like the first round will be hosted on site, like on team campuses and whatever. So this was the initial thing going back to last year. You know, and this sparked us when this happened, we were like, maybe this is where BYU needs to get in with the American because you be right. de facto become like, that actual P6. Cause it's like, if the American, like if they expanded and they added Boise and BYU 
It's like there is no ifs, ands, or buts. The winner of that league would get that sixth slot nine out of ten years. And so it becomes a de facto league, whatever. And so obviously things have changed now. So quick rundown of impacts that I think this will have. Uh, one, Notre Dame will definitely 100% stay an independent. They do not care any, or at least for the foreseeable future, the duration of this contract. They do not care. This is something that Jack Swarba said a year ago. He's like, yeah, we would like to have a playoff game on campus. We don't care about being an at-large team. Like, we will do our thing, and we don't care. Uh, yeah. Two, this could probably – this will stabilize the Big 12 because now if you're looking at going to the SEC or the Big 10 right now, what, you're going to go be another Indiana or Purdue well, let, let's, with no let's, clear shot. But let's and then talk the about Pac-12, this for one minute. The because, Pac-12 – well, before you even get into the Pac-12, the Big 12 and the Pac-12, because on the surface, you're right. I know what you're about to say, right? And, and and I think you're right. I think a lot of us, immediately you jump to that conclusion. But everything, I don't know what I think. So I'm I'm brainstorming, right? I'm, I'm thinking out loud. So bear with me a second, Garrett. There's always more motives behind the scenes. There's always like fallouts that you don't really anticipate, right? Like, so like if we sit and we stop and think about this, okay, what do we know? We know that they are kicking this out until the end of the next TV contract, okay? We we know that with this number of games, that next TV contract may or may not have ESPN in it at all. We know at, at minimum it's going to be shared, right? Like maybe, right. It's, maybe it's ESPN and Fox. Maybe it's Fox and CBS. Maybe, you know, who knows, right? Like it could be any number of scenarios at that point. We know that Fox is pulling these strings behind the Big Ten. Like Fox is making this happen. I don't know if we know enough to say confidently that it stabilizes anybody outside of the SEC and the Big Ten. I think it does. But, like, why is Fox kicking this out? Because if Fox didn't, right, if they enacted this in 2024, it would spark a renegotiation and Fox could potentially get into uh, broadcasting those extra games of the playoff right now. They would have to. I don't know if it would spark a negotiation and, and maybe not it, it, like it, like, I don't know, like ESPN may have it where it's like, yeah, ESPN owns it until the end of the current term. No, ifs, ands, or buts. And so and, um, and we got to see, are there clauses that if a, if a conference folds, what happens to the auto bids, right? Right. There's a drop from like, we're at 10 right now. So it's top six. But if like the PAC 12 full on disbands, or right. the Mountain West disbands because they get rated by the Pac-12 and then some other teams, right. whatever, and does that drop the, it from five of nine instead of six of ten? And then the other thing is, and I, again, I don't know, right? I don't know. I just want to, before we say we think we know, I think we have to like really give ourselves a day or two to digest this because the other thing is we have no idea what kind of TV money, regardless of who gets it, right? Regardless of what network or carrier broadcasts it. Um, we don't know what the TV distribution will be. We know what kind of what it is now at four teams. And so if you assume, you know, Hey, at least triple what it is now, because you've got triple the number of teams and maybe more than that, because it's different. I don't know. What's the payout per team. And does it eventually become more lucrative, right? For a conference member? Hey, I am going to make more money. If I'm in the sec, I may not go to the playoff. But the check that I'm going to get because the SEC has four teams in the playoff is more than the check I would get if I was my one conference representative for the playoff. I don't know. Right. There, but but there money some... has driven so much of this that there's right. there's got to be more to it than what we think. 
But I think it also de-emphasizes the money because we're talking about like, oh, the Big Ten is going to, you know, the Big Ten and the SEC, they're making $100 million a year. How will anyone keep up? Okay, so if that is the case, and they are state, like if the Big Ten and the SEC were to break away and basically be their own mini NFL, where you're going to be looking at four or five teams from each of those going and having their own eight to 12 team playoff, you know, four to six teams, whatever, then that becomes a much bigger deal. But the money has to be set, like it's going to go to coaching salaries. They may start paying players, whatever there's, and they start paying players, then that becomes like the ultimate game changer. But as long as it's getting funneled into coaching salaries and like, as long as it's getting funneled into coaching salaries and facilities, there's only so much, like there's only what you're going to put in another lazy river in your locker room. Like there's only so <laughs> many things that you can do and to like put that money somewhere Right. It's like, if that's the case, and we talked about this kind of last year when we talked about, it, it's like, Hey, if you are a mid to high three-star recruit and this playoff format is in place. And we gave the example last year's like, would you rather go to UCF or Cincinnati? And you know that you're going to have a very good shot of winning the American. And if you win the American, you're likely going to the playoff or would you rather go say I got to play in the big 10 and go to Maryland or Indiana or Illinois. And yeah, you're going to a school that's making $50 million more a year, but right. your season is scraping by to get to seven and six after a bowl win. Like, yeah. so it's, I think that's where this stabilizes the PAC 12. So it's like the big 10 probably still wants to do like their West coast thing. But I think this stabilizes the PAC 12 to where maybe like the Arizona schools, you know, or the four corner schools are supposedly flirting with the big 12 say like, Oh, well, we're actually like fine with where we're at because the access is not going to be a concern anymore. Cause the concern mm -hmm. was like, if this thing folds or like the, you know, if two teams jump ship, then the PAC 12 gets knocked down the pecking or whatever. So since like the effect, the label of G five is dead, right? Like that, that is gone. So there was the, autonomous five within the ncaa where they get to make their own special rules within the ncaa but the entire term of p5 that became a thing because those were the five conferences where new year six games chose yeah. to get a contract so the when the new year six was created it was the bulls signed a contract with the leagues and then the CFP signed a contract with the Bulls and said, okay, we're going to work together and then fold in these four, these four semifinal teams into exactly. this structure. And so the P5 were the teams that were guaranteed access to one of those six Bulls. Yeah, but like theoretically, the famous Idaho Potato Bowl could have shelled out a ton of money and bought their way into the P5 Bulls. Right. And so the in the Big East – was fighting with that because even if you remember back the realignment time like the tv offer that the big east turned down yeah. was a little bit bigger than what the acc offered that they initially signed but then there were people pushing it and supposedly the largest person behind this was the usf athletic director or preschool president did not want ucf in the same conference of them and so she pushed everything in the big e like trying to throw their weight around in the big east and like everyone was pretty much aligned except for them and then she like that lady became such a loud person in the room 
that everyone was like, you know, screw this. The ACC, the offer's on the table for the same amount of money. They have a longer history. Like, we'll just go there and be done with this. Like, we don't want to deal with this anymore. And so yeah. if and so then the Big East, like the Big East got knocked down because of like they did not get a renewed agreement with I think they were trying to get an agreement with the Fiesta Bowl because the Big 12 used to go to the Fiesta Bowl and then the Big 12 signed an agreement with the Sugar Bowl to pit the Big 12 and the SEC against each other similar to the Big 10 and the Pac-12 in the Rose Bowl it's supposed to be like the the, the Sugar Bowl is supposed to be the Rose Bowl of the South and um and so that is kind of done now and P5 the official label of P5 G5 is dead it's 12:50 we are stopping this is something <laughs> to follow and tomorrow it is Cougar Day Eve Jeffrey there yes. is you got to leave a built bar out for Cosmo tonight so he can stop right. by your house and give your kids something great. And my kids are excited. I am excited. I don't have you. What is going to be on your menu tomorrow? It's a weird because it's a day game. It, yeah, I, I haven't really thought much about it, to be honest. With you. Like it's kicking off at 1 p.m. for me here. That's lunchtime. Yeah, it, it's it's a little different than it used to be. I, I I don't know, man. This uh, this has been a really weird lead up to the season for me. Uh, the excitement's still there, the anticipation's still there, all of that is still there. But the things that I normally do to like enjoy and take in the season opener as a fan, I haven't been able to do because of all the high school stuff I've been doing. And so I've been so much more busy with other things. I don't know what's on my menu. Normally, I've got a whole menu planned out at this point. I've got like all 12 games, and they're tailored to the city that BYU is playing against, right? Which that's going to go away. Yeah. Yeah. With independence right now, going away. Right now, it is. It is going to go away. It's just going to be like barbecue every week because, yeah, what else do you do? Right now, man, it's, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I got to figure something out tonight. But again, I got to go do the radio tonight. I get to go do the radio tonight. It's a good thing. It's fun. But anyway, I don't know. I, I am looking forward to this game, though. I can tell you that right now. Um, this isn't breaking news because it's not confirmed. I don't know for sure. But I'm 90% sure Puka's full go tomorrow. I am also 90% sure. I am 90% sure that Puka is full go and 90% sure, maybe 190% sure that Gunner is no go tomorrow. But which I, is a lot better because earlier this week it was like no gunner Puka like twenty eighty. And then later in the week it was like Puka fifty fifty. And now we're like ninety ten Puka. Yes. So right. I, th I think we are good. And this is where uh maybe I wanna see Parker Kingston and Chase Roberts, baby. I'm I'm ready. I wanna like, see Braid I wanna see Braden Cosper, man. Like that's really what that's... I want the most. Because you, you think about this, like people kind of people kind of dismiss this because he's been hurt and i get it but go back let's go back in time get in our hot tub time machine and let's go back to like 2017 i think is when it was uh bingham high school right bingham high school is out they are doing their thing i think they won the state championship that year they had two wide receivers on their roster that year do you remember who they were garrett um one Braden cosper who was the height high three-star borderline four-star he'd be so good if he played at a school that threw the ball more and some dude named dax milne yeah brayden cosper dax milne and of the two cosper was the prospect milne was the dude who uh he had some fcs attention i think weber honestly when i say some fcs attention i think he had weber 
and SUU. I don't think it was. I don't even think schools like NAU or Northern Colorado were paying attention. So that basically means if you have Weber and SUU, that basically means you were at least honorable mention all state in Utah by the Deseret News. I think that's <laughs> yeah. basic. That's like what they do, right? It's like <laughs> that, that's kind of how it works. Like because they know you because you probably went to a camp with your high school team. Yep. Uh, so those were the two roster or two you know primary wide receivers at the time. They had others, but those were the two primary wide receivers at the time, and the two that had any sort of college aspirations. Now, obviously, we know what Dax has done. Dax, uh, he came to BYU. He immediately started to, to turn heads, make waves, played as a true freshman, worked his way into the record books at BYU, and now he's dating Zach Wilson's girl. Like, that's 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 quite the ascension for Dax Milne. So good for him. Now he's in the NFL. That's, that's awesome. Obviously, a huge credit to Dax for what he did to his body, to his, you know, to get himself into that position. But Braden Cosper... Even as true freshmen, even when they were first, first both on the roster, right? Cosper had more hype from BYU. Cosper had more attention. Cosper was was the guy. He got hurt. Didn't happen. Didn't come to fruition. The next year, he still had more attention coming off of the injury. You still heard more buzz about Braden Cosper coming off of, or throughout spring ball and, and throughout fall camp. But then he got hurt again. And that, you know, didn't, didn't pan out. And injuries have been such a huge part of the Braden Cosper story. But if you get past the injuries, which is hard to do, but if you get past the injuries and you go back and you try to remember every step along his career, it's fair to compare him to Dax Milne because they played together forever. He was always thought of more highly than Dax Milne. Now I'm not going to sit here and try to prognosticate that he's going to be in the NFL next year, but Maybe he is, right? Like, maybe he's that good. We don't know. I know that we saw a hell of a lot of Brayden Cosper in just about every highlight video that BYU put out during uh, during during training camp. I know that every, every scrimmage that we saw, Brayden Cosper was a guy. I know that I've seen and heard more buzz about Brayden Cosper than I have about even Chase Roberts and Keanu Hill, who both are very good, too. Brayden Cosper is a guy I'm really excited to see. I'm excited to see because he can do a lot of things because he has that big body. Like he has the kind of frame where he could like put on 30 pounds and become a pass catching tight end. Right. And so he, um, and so he is kind of a big body that can create a lot of matchup issues. So it'll be interesting to see how they use him um, because I think he's a little bit, he's a better athlete, slightly better athlete than Keanu Hill, even though they have a similar frame. He's, he's just that big bodied receiver. Yeah, that's I kind agree. of like a, kind of like a Mitch Matthews type. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how they and use him. He's got really good hands too. I mean, that's the other thing. Be, like, every, he had like one drop in 2020 one drop. Yeah. and everyone was like, Oh, he, he can't catch for crap. And it's like, dude, he had like one drop on seven attempts. Well, and it's his first game. The guy's nervous or whatever. But yeah, yeah I, I've heard nothing but good things. I've also called this inside information if you want. I'm I'm very confident we see a, uh, you know, maybe not, maybe not like a a whole heaping dose of Chase Roberts, but like you know how if you've got an upset stomach, and I mean I don't know maybe I'm only talking me and I'm I'm letting letting secrets known. Uh, when I go to the Pepto Bismol count. Uh, cabinet at my house because it's not i have a medicine cabinet and then i have a pepto-bismol cabinet because you know they're different when i go to the pepto-bismol cabinet there are sometimes i have the little pills that if i just have like an upset stomach i just take a pill i take the recommended dose 
But like, if I have to go somewhere, and uh, I I call them the spoops, that I am spewing poop, I I I gotta plug that up, right? So I don't look at any sort of recommended dose. I just take the regular thing of Pepto and I just drink it. And I don't know how much I drink, two, three, four gulps, like enough that like, I probably not going to have to worry about the spukes for the next three three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's what I do because I I have something like one of my biggest fears is airplanes. I'm a big guy. Yeah. I don't want to have to like go in an airplane toilet ever. And so if I'm ever flying back East, uh, yeah, I take enough like Pepto Bismol and Imodium that, I don't have to poop that whole trip. So we're not taking that level of a dose of Chase Roberts. It's not like a Jeff Bubbleguts level of, of, of Chase Roberts, like how much Pepto-Bismol I would take. But I think you're going to get the full-size adult recommended dosage of Chase Roberts. You're, we're going to see him a lot. We're going to get finally get to see what he can do. So here's the thing. If Chase Roberts comes out and plays well, is this similar to – is Gunnar Romney – Similar to Tristan Hodge when Campbell Barrington or Baby Barrington came in, when after Tristan Hodge got hurt, it was like, okay, yes, you're good. We know you're reliable, but this is your like fourth year here. You've been hurt every year. And this young guy who's a freshman came in and the drop off is not that big. So I like, best of luck i'm not too bummed if you don't come back and like become a major player no no because gunner is better than tristan ever was and i say that as a guy like tristan hodge nearly made an nfl roster yeah right i mean he wasn't but bad right and it was but gunner never injuries kept him from ever coming close to his potential right but gunner is better and more proven like he you know he's if he plays 10 games this year we're gonna look at his stats and start to compare them with like Whoa, he's got a lot of yards. Whoa, whoa, he's got a lot of catches, right? Uh, So no, so Gunner is better than Tristan Hodge ever was. Like obviously different positions, blah, 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 but but, but Gunner's better. So no, I don't think it's that, but I I do think that if if Chase comes out and he has a a really good game, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's one, two, three weeks and he he plays really well and then Gunner comes back, takes his spot where, where, you know, where he belongs. It's one of those that it's like a, Oh, I don't know. I mean, it's a it's a Mitch Matthews kind of a thing, right? Like Mitch Matthews played in, in his first year. I think Cody Hoffman was still around. I think Ross mm-hmm. Oppo was still around. I think Taron Houck was still there, and Taron Houck was around for a couple of a couple of years. Uh, Mitch played, but he wasn't the guy. But then that next year, after the bigger, you know, some of those more established upperclassmen type dudes left, Mitch was like, "Whoa, yeah, okay, Mitch is the guy," and you were super confident with Mitch being the guy. Uh, I think that's I think that's what Chase Roberts is. I don't think it's I, I like the question, right? Like, because you're right, you know, Campbell Barrington comes in. It's like, sorry, Tristan, like, thanks for your four years, but bye. Uh, the other thing with Tristan Hodges, he did have his injury lingered throughout the season. So even when he came back, he was bad. I think if he would have came back and he was fully healthy, maybe he reasserted sim like reasserts himself as the starter. But when he came back, it was clear he wasn't the same guy. Yeah. So I think it will be interesting to see because come October, if Gunnar Romney, you know, if he is like his looking like his first game back is Notre Dame, then if that happens, I have no idea what his actual timeline is right now. If yeah, his first I, game back, I think it's more likely his first game back is Baylor than Notre right. Dame. So if if it is though, like come October, and we're heading into the Notre Dame game, and Chase Roberts has 
350 yards and four touchdowns through four games. Then it becomes a like, well, that's kind of the production I would have hoped out of Gunner. Like, was there a drop off? And it's, you know, like it doesn't because it sure doesn't seem like it. Um, Right. And so that's where it will become really interesting. And I, I don't want to say I hope that happens because I love Gunner. Gunner, great receiver. But it's like you. It's honestly like as a fan, you're kind of like apathetic or semi glad that that happens because that means it's like oh we've actually built solid depth right like this is when we say like oh this is might be the best receiver room that we've had ever or at least like maybe in like the last 20 25 years 30 years then it's like oh yeah because you look at like even like those like 2007 2008 it's like yeah you had austin collie and then you had two tight ends because mike reed was your next best receiver and he was very meh right and and so it's like but whereas you're like oh we lost Gunnar Romney, who was a thousand yard receiver. I think he ended up last year, what he ended up with like 850. And in 2020, he had like 970, but he missed a few games, right? Like he's a thousand yard receiver if he stays healthy and he has shown that consistently over multiple seasons, right? And it's like, but it's like, okay, well, we took that guy out who had NFL potential as a receiver when he's healthy. And we put in a dude who just got home from his mission and there was like very little drop off like that is when you're like oh okay we what is this depth like our season isn't screwed because our senior star receiver or 1a 1b of the 1b of the duo of star receivers didn't miss us like and we barely miss a step like that is like for me that's like the offense has built and the amount of depth compared to like what ty detmer had as a coach to work with in 2017 to what a rod and fessy have recruited now at the skill positions it's like it's night and day and so yeah, it that, is. that's where it's like you're bummed but also like it's a different kind of bump like I'd, you're bummed I'd, for Gunner, I'd be bummed. but you're not bummed for the team right oh, i'd be like, bummed i'd be bummed for the team because people who needs all the the four-star type guys to come in and have success that they can get so that they can say look we can we can develop the under the radar talent but hey also if you're good we can develop you and uh kind of romney's that like byu needs more of those stories you know yeah um, we don't have, we, I'm tired of the narrative of everybody who's a four star that comes to BYU flops because one, it's false, but two, I'm, it happens enough that I'm tired of it. Yeah. And we, we need more, we need to see more of those success stories. Definitely. So, what is your read on this game tomorrow? So, let me actually pull up. So, I saw the line opened it, it was like sitting at 12 and a half. Um, it, it's it's, it's stayed, moved a little bit. It's, yeah, it's now consistently like it's like like 11 and a half and 13 yep it's moved up to it's 11 and a half right now um let's see what is the total the total sitting right at 58 i think it Uh, opened at 57 and a half so kind of yeah so it's basically sitting there so what do you think what is what do you think is going to happen tomorrow like obviously the weather will be a factor it's going to be rainy and muggy and hot like super humid it's going to be rainy i think that well puka being there definitely changes the game plan because if you're looking at a game plan with neither puka nor gunner in the rain you're going to pound chris brooks and it is like you're gonna go rush for a truck ton of yards keep jaron's gonna attempt maybe 15 to 20 passes and a lot of short stuff and just like control the game, control the line of scrimmage, 
get out of there with the win, and it's going to be like a 24 to 14 type game. Like that is in the rain. That's what I would expect. Um, on the road, moving, going to the East Coast, all things. So I don't, with Puka being back, depending on what the weather does, we saw in the two rain games we played last year, Boise and UAB, it ugly, it, ugly. We play poorly in the afternoon generally because that's just not what you're used to. Like you have your routine, and when you are used to playing ten out of, and you know, ten out of your thirteen games kick off at night, you have your steady routine, and now you get out of that rhythm. And when you have these afternoon games, and so that's hard. maybe it helps that it's week one there. It might, it probably does. Um, uh, and so they, you know, and it's not like a two o'clock kickoff. Like it's kicking off at four, so it's like an early, it's a later afternoon kickoff. It's mm-hmm. not like a, it's not Boise kicking off. I mean, I guess Boise still kicked off at one, um, Mountain Time, and, or so. Even then, I guess it's still kicking off an it's hour later insane. than what the Boise game was last year. But the, yeah. um. So I think there is, you know, I don't know that we will see 12 points seems like a lot. I do actually feel more comfortable with Gary or Jerry. I don't know how do you say his name. Bohannon. Gibo. I think it's Larry Gergich. Um, <laughs> there you go. The I feel more comfortable with him than I would with McLean just because, I mean, Bohannon's fine. Like he can get Man, the first I... time, but – but he is not going to like just kill you where it's like we plastered everyone and then somehow you still ran for eight yards because he's not nearly the elusive runner. Like he's much less. I, of a- I don't know where that narrative came from. I really don't because I, what you just said, I've heard all week long and maybe I'm just way off. But when I watch Bohannon play, like he's not Michael Vick, but the guy can move. He scrambled more than, than Jaron did last year, like more times per game. He had more scrambles. He, I think his total rushing yards were fewer, but he ran more. He had design runs. So, like, he can scoot. I mean, he's not, you know, he's a throw-first guy, but he can move a little bit. And and the thing that scares me about Bohannon, and, and I talked about this on the, the Fletcher and Fowler show with Will Turner, the thing that really scares me about Bohannon is he's accurate. He's a very accurate quarterback. His adjusted adjusted completion percentage is better than 73%. I mean, it's better than than Jaron Hall's. Uh, He's very accurate. And against the traditional, now this is the variable that we don't know, but against the traditional Elisa Tuiaki defense, if you have a quarterback that can consistently complete those six and seven yard passes that has the ability to pick up a first down with his legs if he has to when you're sitting in drop eight, right? That, that can. Maybe he doesn't want to, but can. Those are the quarterbacks that are able to extend those drives that are just that that death by a thousand paper cuts that every BYU fan hates, right? Like that's the kind of quarterback that gives BYU fits. It's the quarterbacks that even good ones, right? Even a guy like Jackson Dart, who's trying to push the ball down the field. BYU's defense tends to do really well with those. The rushing quarterbacks, the triple option type quarterbacks, BYU's defense tends to do really well with those. But the guys that are athletic enough and that can throw the ball consistently and accurately and don't have a problem dinking and dunking, those are the guys that tear BYU up. Now, the variable, like I say, we, we don't know what this defense is really going to do. It's it's healthy. Like, Tuyaki's going to have his full suite of players. 
And the, and clearly the defense against Arizona and Utah, Arizona State was different than the defense against uh, USC and UAB last year. So so there's there's some variables that we don't know in week one. Uh, but I I do I do think that's worth like keeping in the back of your minds as a BYU fan. Like Gary Bohannon's never going to go to the NFL. I don't think he's an NFL guy, but I think he's good enough to beat BYU. I don't think they will. But I think he's good enough to do it. I mean, his line. Look at his line when when BYU played Baylor, right? It wasn't anything spectacular, but I think he I think he had what two or three touchdowns, here. and I think he, he threw had. For... He was eighteen of twenty eight for two hundred and thirty yards, one touchdown, one pick, and then Did he, he had run three, for one two, three carries for ten yards, no touchdowns, and a long of nine yards. So it's just there, like it's a fine game, but it it was that like. You couple that with an experienced offensive line like Baylor had and a good running game, and BYU couldn't stop it. BYU, and now USF isn't Baylor, but USF, uh, they're experienced. USF's offensive line is more experienced than even BYU's offensive line. They have three guys on that offensive line with 30 career starts. One guy with 40. It's the third year working under the same offensive line coach and, and Alan Mordridge. Uh, they've got two returning running backs this year. So their their rushing game is going to be fine. And if BYU can't tackle, that rushing game is going to be ugly. The the I can't remember his first name. The Mangum kid, Mag Magna, I can't remember his name. Oh, I, he's on my fantasy team. So yeah. I should know his so, name. So that guy, he tore BYU up last year. Like BYU struggled keeping him down. Now, he didn't get the ball a ton because USF was – behind and they had to throw the ball and timmy mcclain was just like jaron jaron mangum yeah but that guy when he got the ball he was effective he played mostly in the second half yeah last year he uh had 160 carries for 670 yards and 15 touchdowns yeah Um, he's very good he transferred there from colorado against BYU last year 26 carries 86 yards two tds one catch for 14 yards And, Um, and most of that came in the second half he yeah, was so. pretty well bottled up in the first half. So he's good. And, and they've got a couple of wide receivers, uh, a Clemson transfer that is particularly good. Aju Aju, I think is um, how you pronounce his name. Xavier Weaver is also a great wide receiver. Yeah. He's, a he's senior, no senior slouch. So Jibo, Aju Aju's transfer. Oh, yeah. Is, yeah Weaver last year, that Weaver last year, 41 catches, 715 yards, only right. two touchdowns, but he, like, he got some. And so he, they're good. He had five and, catches and, for 76 against us. And so all, the point of all of this isn't to overhype USF as if they're Alabama, but it's that they have enough weapons and they have a good enough offensive line that a game manager type quarterback like Gary Bohannon is really scary yeah. because, yeah, that guy's not going to, like, he doesn't have to be the star. He's not going to try to hit that home run ball. He is totally content to hand it off to to the mangum or whatever his name was he, he's totally content to hand it off if aju aju is getting like if byu is dropping eight preventing the big play and aju aju is just running little four yard crossing routes like bohannon's totally content to hit that four yard crossing route and he will hit that four yard crossing route just about every time he's the kind of quarterback that should scare byu like that's that's my whole point is that he's good enough. I I think that fans have dismissed him because of his stat line, 
but his impact on the game is very different than his stat line. His impact on the game was good enough to win a sugar bowl and to get Baylor to a big 12 championship. Like he's damn good folks. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. I, I am worried. So a lot of people, cause USF was so bad last year, but they in similar to like their whole team is kind of similar to the BYU defense, right? Obviously they were number one in returning production. We're number two in returning production. A lot of that's just because right. we're turning a quarterback, but they also factored in that they brought in Bohannon. And so that, right. you know, because they uh, Connolly includes uh, transfer statistics. So like we lost Algier, but we got to include Chris Brooks and blah, 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 blah. So I, the number that, you know, it's, they are go, I think they are going to take a big leap this year from where they were think the seat is hot. It's warm for Jeff Scott. If they have another bad year and they don't, probably if they don't make it to a bowl this year, he's probably going to get fired. Mm-hmm. And I think at home and they, you know, they're in Florida, they believe like, Oh, it's so hard. It's hard to play here. it's, you know, the weather, the heat, the humidity, these West coast teams don't know how to do it. Like it is going to be a tough game. And I, we cannot luckily since it is week one, the, this is the type of game I would hate to play in like week three if right. it was like the week before the Arkansas game or something yeah. like it's where it's still September, the weather still sucks, but we have a big game the next week where it's a very, very much a trap game. Um, this game, you know, I think we will win. I don't think BYU covers. I think USF covers and it is a sloppy game that we do not feel good about, but it's fine. And we win. very similar to the Arizona game last year. Yeah, um, I agree. And I, agree. I don't, but it's also something where it's like, you have to protect the ball, especially if we're playing in the rain. Like last year, turnovers are what cost us the Boise game. Like you turn the ball over, hand them Boise the ball in scoring position twice, and then fumble the ball inside the 10-yard line when you would be have first and goal, and then you lose by one score. Like mm-hmm. you handed them you then you handed them a net of three touchdowns because well, and then also we went for four, we had first and goal from the one and went for it four times and didn't get it. So it's like we handed them a net of three and a half touchdowns for Boise, and we still were in punching distance. Like we should have won that game. And yeah. so we have to protect the ball if they're like also because there's a rainy, it's turnovers will do this. I think like we will try probably to get up a few scores early and then just try to ground and pound after that. Like, especially if it is clear. If the weather is clear, but the forecast is rain, like it will be get on the board fast, try to get up to like a 14-0 lead, and then just chew clock and try to get out of there and don't let them, don't let the talent that they have make an explosive play against you. And basically it, lean into that, like just try to match them punch for punch. Because even then, after that, if you have a 14-point lead, you can trade touchdown for field goals pretty much the like even if they're scoring, if you're a, up 14-0, you can go up 17-7, you can go up 20 to 14. Like you have a lot of wiggle room as long as you're trading scores with them in some factor fashion before you run it, which is basically what that's what happened last year, right? Why we only won 35-28. Um so BYU I, should be able to to run the ball too. I mean, that's uh for all the returning production that the USF has, it's not in the interior of their defensive line. They had right. three guys that like, that were their their main three dudes last year, and, and a couple of them are pretty good. They're all gone. Uh, so the the inside that's where BYU's strength is, right? Like BYU has Clark Barrington, who's one of the best guards in the country. 
Uh, we don't know who's going to start at right guard, but maybe another Barrington, maybe Lachance, maybe Tukwafu. Either uh, of those three guys are fine. Any of them are going to be fine. Right? Hey, is so, good. Freeland's good. We got Kingsley. Like our this offensive line, the offensive line is great. Could, they could go against anybody in the country. The offensive line is great. The interior of the offensive line is going to be playing against interior defensive linemen who are new, who are getting their first game reps. Chris Brooks should have a heyday just running. Uh, you know, hitting those A and B gaps like that, that inside run game should be there for BYU. And so that lends itself to kind of what you're saying. But if it's an ugly, rainy ground game or they're trying to bleed clock, that that should be there for BYU in this one. Um, USF strengths on defense, it's their linebackers. They're very good. Uh, Boyles and I think it's Antonio Greer uh, both played 750 snaps plus last year. They're they're very good. I mean, they were the two bright spots of an otherwise pretty abysmal defense. Um, they're still very good. So, you know, the the intermediate pass game like that could be that could be something to watch. Um, it's a new offense or a new defensive scheme. Um, Coach Shoop is coming over. He's been at Mississippi State. He's been at a couple of other places. He's now the new defensive coordinator over there at USF. Very good SEC-type defensive coordinator. He doesn't have SEC-type athletes, so things could get a little bit ugly for USF on defense. If this game was being played in good weather on a neutral field, I think BYU wins by 17 to 20 points. This game being played in rain at USF in the humidity of Florida, uh, I, I do. I think that last year is a very good indicator of what this game looks like, a game that, like, Neither team's real thrilled at the end because you look at the final score and USF feels like, dang, we could have had that upset. And BYU fans are like, seriously, we only won by like seven, eight, ten points. And like, but you never really feel like you're gonna lose. But like I said on on, on Fletcher and Fowler, it, it's the kind of game that if how do you, how do you phrase it? More has to go right for USF in order to pull off an upset than has to go right for BYU to win the game. Right? Like a lot yeah. of things have to happen for USF. However, I do think this game is close enough that if those, all of those, right? Like there's always three, four, five, six plays in a game where if the ball bounces one way or if the call goes one way, it, it changes the the game, right? If those all go for USF, I think this one's ugly and close enough that USF could pull off an upset, but all of those have to go USF's way. If and that's exactly what happened with Boise, right? Like everything had to bounce exactly for Boise. Like all the fumbles that were fumbled, had to go Boise's way. The calls that were reversed because the nose of a football touched the ground had to go Boise's way. And they all did. And that happens sometimes, right? If one of those goes the other way, if Algier fumbles it against Boise, but he is able to recover it, or somebody on BYU is able to recover it, BYU wins that game. And, and that's that's how close it is, right? And I think that this game's going to be really similar. I, I was looking at it, and, and this is – I don't know. It's tough to do this. And I don't want to waste too much time talking about USF. Their win total this year in, in Vegas is four and a half. And so you run through their schedule and it's like, okay, Vegas is expecting four or five wins, right? Uh, okay. So they play BYU. Let's, let's put that game aside. Howard, that's a win. Florida loss. Louisville, probable loss. East Carolina, you probably have to win that one to get to four or five wins. Cincinnati, probably a loss. Tulane, you got to win that one. Houston, probably a loss. Temple, probably like you got to win that one. SMU, probably a loss. Tulsa, we'll see. UCF, probably a loss. So they've got four or five wins 
without beating BYU, right? Like this game is one of those that it kind of makes or breaks the center season. If they win this game, they probably go bowling. If they don't win this game, they are at best, you know, without pulling off some crazy upsets, at best, I think five and seven. So it's going to be an interesting one. They're going to certainly be fired up and motivated. They want to win this game. And Jeff Scott's coaching for his job, so. Yeah, um, so looking at their defensive line, they brought in five defensive linemen from the portal. So that definitely screams, we need help here now. Desperation! Yep, so they had, um, they brought in Clyde Pender from North Carolina, James Ash from Wake Forest, Rashad Cheney from Minnesota, Daryl Bailey from Virginia Tech, who they moved to offensive line after he got there, and Nick Baggs from Temple. None of those five guys had more than five tackles last year. So they yeah. were all like, they were all, none of them were like, a, oh, I got a decent amount of time, but I want to go to a place where I can be a starter right away. Whatever it's like they are, I was seeing special teams time. and Yeah, and not like and, special teams time at Auburn. They were seeing special teams time at Wake Forest. And Minnesota, right? And not exactly defensive powerhouses. Um, so they, uh, so I think it will be interesting. Um, the, it will be interesting to see, um, what happens with that. I think we will be able to run the ball. And like I said, it really is just going to come down to protecting the ball, which is, I mean, that comes down to every game. Like if you look at like a turnover, it's give or take where it is. A turnover is basically worth like four points for your team, mm-hmm. give or take. Depends on where it happens on the field. Obviously, if you turn the ball over on the goal line when you're about to score, that's damn near worth a touchdown. If you turn the ball over like on your own goal line where you're handing the other team the ball there, that's also, you know, near touchdown. If you, you know, it's so it's worth a net of maybe three, four points, about a field goal, you know, give or take. So I think really is just going to come down to protecting the football. And if we can do that, no matter what happens, we will come out okay. I think we are going to be able to control the line of scrimmage. And for what it sounds like, and you know what people are saying, even with the defensive line, and where last year it was, I mean, this is kind of the put up or shut up year for this defensive staff, especially. You know, we saw Gennaro in the interview that Coach Tuiaki did. Um, then he, you know, that Coach Tuiaki did that on Sports Nation, where he said like the defensive secondary is as good as it's been since it's been here. So he feels a lot more comfortable. They didn't go out and get defensive line guys in the portal. So they feel like, yes, the group was very, very young. It was mostly freshmen and sophomores last year. There's like no upperclassmen really. And so they felt like, okay, these guys can take the talent is there and that they're with their experience are ready to take a step forward. Hopefully that's the case. Um, And so if we see a little bit of improvement there, I think it's going to be a much lower scoring game. If I were to guess on this game, I would say, take usf to cover and take the under especially if it rains yeah i think i said 38 28 because i think that both running backs will get loose but i i like your bet. i mean 38 28 is probably a little high in the score I mean, that, that's, that's the, where so what we're sitting at 54 and then it's a it's with or 58 with byu and 11 and a half point favorite so that's like what that so they're saying 34 23 is what 35 23 is what the line is projecting the score to be right now um and i think that i mean that, that feels fine it also feels like a little high i think like 
I think 28-17 is going to be the kind of the final score of this for like a 31-20, 31-24, like somewhere is, in that what range. What is the weather? Because I don't understand forecasts in Florida because they always say it's raining. But yeah, like, so what does tomorrow, that mean? Does that mean real rain? Does that mean like it's a light drizzle? Does that mean it's on so and I don't know what this means. 4 p.m. tomorrow, it will be uh, 90 degrees with 60% humidity, 51% chance of rain, 4% or 4 mile an hour wind. So very slight breeze, 51% uh, chance of rain with scattered thunderstorms. We also may be looking at a situation where there's a, a rain delay or a lightning delay. And if that happens, then it's kind of like an all bets are off kind of thing because then it really sucks and you are it sucks for the visiting team and they got it sucks for the visiting team a lot more do so they still they... play do they still play at raymond james whatever yep. it is stadium yep they well at like... least there's that so it, it is so if you're a, an away team at a lightning delay at like when you're playing at auburn i don't know why i keep using auburn as the example but their locker room like their away team locker room is intentionally small and and set up in a way that if you have to be a team that sits in there, you're uncomfortable. You hate it. The right. NFL has standards, right? So at right. least there's an NFL like away team locker room that their facilities are going to be, you know, BYU's facilities as the road team are going to be just as nice as USF's as the home team. Yeah. So we are looking at, so four o'clock, 54% chance of rain, 90 degrees, five o'clock, 65% chance of rain, 87 degrees, six o'clock, 60% chance of rain, 85 degrees. And then seven o'clock, fifty percent chance of rain, eighty-three degrees. So it's going to be muggy and it's going to be wet. Whoever can protect the ball more is going to win. I think BYU could probably survive. I will say BYU can survive being minus two in the turnover margin, but they cannot survive being minus three. Okay, I like it. So, and I would say, given the weather, take USF, take the points, and the under. And let's just get out of there and get to Baylor next week. Like this is very, I'm very much like a, this is just a get in there and get it done. Like I'm excited. Obviously it's week one, the season is starting super hyped, but it's like, this can be a messy game. Like I just yeah. still have the flashbacks of Boise and UAB last year of a very, very similar where it's like, this team is okay. They're not the best. They could be worse. They have talent. Oh, it's in the afternoon. It's wet. We played sloppy. We've got like, you know, a bigger team to play next week. What it, like it? It's it feels very similar to both of those, and that I have PTSD. Yeah, I get it. Uh, we got to figure out. I mean, an afternoon game. I guess we can do a post game show. We can do a post game show in the afternoon. Um, yeah, that'll probably be ideal. I'm Sunday morning. I'm flying up to Idaho to go to Yellowstone for the week. Um, before my nephew's farewell is next Sunday. Mm. So I'm taking some time off with the fam, going to Yellowstone for the week before uh, his the farewell. Whole, the whole week? Yeah. So most of the week. So go camping, go okay. some. Yeah. Um, are you camping so, or are you hoteling? Uh, we are hoteling. But, you know, we'll be in, in the woods all day. We're We're, we're going to go... Don's us, but also want to be in the hotel so we can shove a pack and play in the bathroom and close the door and you know get right. those kids sleeping no, in the you, dark. You absolutely made the right call. Camping yeah, so. is never the right call. Yeah. So 
the so I'm excited. What other games before as we wrap up here? What are your other? We already did your picks. What other games are you keeping your eye on? For I'm gonna head over to CFB Guide and actually see what I've. Uh, yeah, I'm super pumped for Arkansas and Cincinnati. That's that's one of my favorite games of the. Maybe it's just because it's Arkansas and BYU plays Arkansas. But that's one of the games I'm most excited about. Arkansas is it's either six or six and a half, depending on where you're look, the six or six and a half point favorite. I think that the odds makers are giving Cincinnati a lot of respect. This team that that went to the playoff a year ago is not the team that we're going to see for Cincinnati. They may still be great. I have no idea how good they'll be, but Cincinnati lost everybody from last year. Like that team was experienced upperclassmen. They're all gone. And so still a lot of respect being given to Cincinnati or maybe a lot of disrespect to Arkansas. Uh, but I'm anxious to see that game. Maybe more than I want to see, you know, Oregon, Georgia, or Notre Dame, Ohio State, because, I don't know, Arkansas, we see them in a few weeks. Yeah, so I agree on that game. I The Cincinnati, it's like, I just feel like they lost too much. Like, if they reload, then that is... Like Luke Fickle is in, is one of the top ten coaches. If you don't guess yeah. it, maybe one of the top five in all of CFB, and it's undisputable. It, if they reload after how much they lost last year, yeah. Um, if they reload like that, then folks, be prepared for Cincinnati to be an absolute pain in the ass in the Big Twelve. Yeah. Um, the Oregon Georgia game will be interesting just because it's weird that both of those games on ABC got Oregon. Oregon, Georgia backed up with Notre Dame, Ohio State. Both of those, I mean, Oregon's ranked number 11, Notre Dame's five, but both of them are 17 point dogs on yeah, the road. Um, I am also very interested, kicking off at the same time as Cincinnati and Arkansas on CBS Sports Network is Houston UTSA. That's going to be a super fun game. Like, and it's in the Alamo Dome. The atmosphere there is going to be insane with a, like the two top G5 teams in the state of Texas playing. And it's it's gonna that's gonna be a super fun game. You're gonna you're gonna have um you're gonna have two great quarterbacks going at it in um what's his name Frank Harris and Clayton Toon, and so that's gonna be a fun game kicking off at that same time. And then I another sneaky game in the morning is right before uh, kicking off at 9 a.m. The lead into our game with USF is the UNC at App State. Like that is also a a game that I mean I've been to a game at App State. The stadium is awesome. Their fans are trashy. They're like the Wyoming of the South, except for they're actually good at football. But they're are they fans are they like and, coastal? They are a different type of trashy. Is it like white trash versus redneck? Yes. So they are. Uh, yeah. Coastal. Yeah. App is rednecks and coastal is white trash. Okay. Like so they. It. Um, but it's I but app fans they are hyped like for this because this is like for them this is like oh we finally got one of the other in-state teams to come to our house who they think that they are better than us and we want to show them like you know what we are all about um, I think app is favorite I mean it's basically a pick them but I think app is yeah. favored in that one it's it's flipped back and forth between like minus one and plus one all week so it's basically yeah near a pick them uh, and then I'm actually kind of excited and if i mean people you're going to be tuning in to notre dame and ohio state utah and florida are playing at the same time you also got utah state and bama 
playing at that same time. But I Ooh. think what might be a sneaky, entertaining game is Memphis at Mississippi State playing starting right after our game. Yeah, uh, Memphis tomorrow. won a that, year ago. They, Memphis won a year ago. They've got last year. They had a true freshman who came in and won the starting job at quarterback, and he played pretty good. So we should take a step forward. So it's gonna be, uh, it's gonna be pretty interesting to see what happens in that game. But I think that might be a sneaky, entertaining game that could end up being a shootout. That's really fun to watch. Yeah, I think so too. And and guys, I'm excited for Utah, Florida. I am too. I'm the world's biggest Gators fan. Always, always, always since I was born, have always loved the University of Florida. I mean, I remember when I was four years old being ecstatic when Steve Spurrier led them to their first national championship. Yeah, you told oh, me about well. that. Yes. And so I've always loved the University of Florida. Go Gators. Hate the Knowles. Hey, uh, whatever I'm supposed to hate for being a Florida fan, I hate them. And I think that is going to be a good game. And that, I mean, that's another game too, where you kind of, it's similar vibes to Lincoln Riley at USC, where it's like the amount of talent, like there was never a question of how much talent is in the building but it was not being used well. So how good is Lincoln Riley going to come out the gate at SC? And what is, um, oh, I just can completely lost his from Louisiana. What is his name? Uh, Who's the coach from Louisiana? That's the new coach of Florida. Uh, Napier, Billy Napier, Napier. Billy Napier. Yeah. It's like, and what is Napier after stringing together multiple double with double digit win seasons in the Sun Belt? What is he going to come out and do at Florida? That game is going to be fun to sell too. Football is back. I am so excited. We will have our post-game show tomorrow night. Please join us on the Discord. You can say your piece in peace, or you can cause a ruckus if you want to. I don't care. And so join us. The game thread is up. We are playing the Bulls tomorrow. We are back on our in-season bullshit. Give them hell. Give them hell.